Golf Podcast, presented by Golficity, where we bring you the tips, instruction, and support you need to get the most out of your golf game. And now your hosts, Frank and Mike. Hey guys, welcome back to the Golf Podcast. This is episode number 320, and today we're going to be talking about how to know when it's the right time to make a swing change. And guys, I know I've done it so many times where you get tempted to constantly be chasing, changing your swing, doing something new, whether it be you're out on the course and you, you just want to make this change that you've been thinking of, or you're watching the YouTube video, you're watching the pros on TV, you pick up on something and you're like... I want to do that. I want I want to have that be part of my swing. In fact, Mike, just a couple weeks ago, we talked to uh, Lonto Griffin, remember? And he right. said an issue even he struggled with. Now we're talking about the highest level, a PGA mm-hmm. Tour winner uh, saying he would look at like Rory on the range. There'd be something he'd be doing and he would try to emulate that and he would be making these changes. Right. And it wasn't until he kind of settled into his own, having a comfort in his own swing and just approaching the game that way that he started to play better. So- the answer isn't always to make a swing change, but there are benefits that can come from making changes. So we're going to talk about how to identify when that time has come. And then once it has come, how do you properly make that change? What's the timing? What does it look like? What are the expectations? Those are the things we're going to talk about. And you and I, we've gone through a lot of stuff recently, Mike, we're working with guys like from the guys from Game Like Training and, and with Kevin Sprecker and talking about swing changes and the time it takes and how to implement them. So we're going to we're going to weave all of that in and we're going to talk in a minute uh, a little bit about injuries and how that can that can relate to things mm-hmm. in our Twitter tap in segment. So we've got a lot going on. Um before we hop into it, of course, we want to thank our sponsor, Titleist, and we're, sh- we're excited to share with you guys some exclusive opportunities from Titleist, but to be a part of it, you have to join Team Titleist. The good news is it's free to do so. Team Titleist gives you access to opportunities like prototype testing, special events, limited edition gear from Titleist, and so much more. So to sign up, simply go to Titleist.com slash Team Titleist, one word. Guys, it'll take you about two seconds to do so. Um, speaking of which, you know, prototype testing, I remember when the uh, the new Pro V1s were in development and when they were almost right. ready, remember those white boxes were showing up and you started to see them popping up around social. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people on Team Titleist were just getting surprised with these at their doorstep. So if you want to get those surprise, you know, things every once in a while, you want to get those invites to those events. We had a terrific event with Team Titleist at Five Iron Golf not long ago. You got to be on the list. So like I said, take the time, fill it out, get on, you know, sign up for Team Titleist and you guys will be uh, you'll be there when these things go down, and, and it, it is exciting when it happens. So you I got my I got my out. favorite thing in the bag, my team titleist scorecard holder, and I got it at the team titleist event. So yes, it was to show you, you get those cool things. Everyone keeps asking like, where do you get those cool titleist hats with the TT on the side? Well, you got to join. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Remember that in your uh, your what's in the bag from a couple of days ago. That's right. Um, all right, so obviously we want to talk about this whole idea of swing changes. But of course, we've got to dive into our Twitter tap-in segment first. This is something that we, we've been having a lot of fun with every week. If you guys aren't already following us on Twitter, make sure you do so. It's at Golficity. And our Twitter tap-in segment is a chance every week for us to put out a question to you guys, and you can get involved in the show by answering there on Twitter. And then what we're going to do is read off some of our favorites here. It's a great way to get the conversation going about all these little nuances to the game. So this week for a Twitter tap-in, we said, has an injury ever prevented you from playing golf? And if so, how long were you out of the game? Um, Mike, let me... Yeah, Yeah. it's my wheelhouse. I mean, everybody (laughs) knows my answer, but let's let's hear from you. Have you ever been laid up because of an injury? 
I haven't been laid up. Thankfully, I'm knocking on wood as we speak, but I haven't been laid up of an injury that's kept me out of the game for a while. I remember when you and I played, played Pakanak, I woke up that morning and I physically couldn't move my back and I couldn't swing at all until about the fourth or fifth hole. Mm. And that was just a, a day issue and it cleared up relatively quickly. But, you know, I'm very lucky that I haven't had an injury. All my major injuries in my life, like my torn ACL or my broken wrist or something, they all happened when I was young in high school and I wasn't really playing the game yet. Um, so I haven't been there yet. But thankfully, you know, there's so much knowledge and the people we work with, like Joe Gambino, Fitness for the Fairways podcast and Kirk Adams and Ben Shear and these guys who if it did happen and I had to recover, I know there's a there's plenty of knowledge out there that's going to get me back into it. So for in sure. short, no. Yeah, and and you, I mean it's lucky to be able to say yeah. no. And yeah, for sure. Your, your career right now for golf, you've been playing for what twelve years, 10, 12 yeah, years. Yeah, about that. About ten, twelve years. Yeah. So that's a really great stretch, you know. Knock yeah. on wood. And speaking of of Joe Gambino, uh, if you guys haven't seen his podcast, Fitness for the Fairways, um, I know he posts stuff. He's very active in the Facebook group, and I got to give a special shout out to Joe because uh, he hopped into this Twitter tap in and he started answering some people's questions. Uh, again, from a guy who's a you know, physical therapist and he knows a lot about about this stuff. And he helped me quite a bit when we were down in Florida. He definitely so did. it was great to have him hopping in there. Um, so just kind of diving into some of these and, and, you know, it also, if it does nothing else, it gives you a little bit of perspective of, of we talked about being grateful, right. And, and we talk about that a lot right now with understanding it's been a rough, you know, five, six weeks, you see us doing the podcast from home and everything like that, but still being grateful because, you know, we still have a lot of great things going for us. And even though right. a lot of us aren't playing golf right now, you know, whatever, same type of thing. If you're not experiencing one of these injuries, just being grateful for the fact that of your body's in good enough shape that you can be out there playing. Um, but the good news is pretty much everybody here seems like they've recovered and gotten back. But uh, first one that I kind of attached to uh, Walt Blazich, he says, I had a herniated disc out four to five months. That one, of course, I can relate to because I'm dealing with the herniated disc in the neck. Sadly, what I've learned is that herniated discs never go away. They can get flamed up, whatever. Um, I had started my journey of getting better with this. Uh, effectively now, I haven't really been able to play a solid round of golf in almost that same time frame, four to five months. Um, because of this and then extending into now, I feel like I'm, I'm well enough again to start getting back out there, but the golf courses are still... Well, I was going to ask you, so this layup, isolation, COVID-19 has had to have helped you recover a little bit, or at least kept the inflammation down. And you know, that when you do go out there, I mean, what's going to happen? Is it just going to flare right back up for you? Well, sadly, no, that's un unfortunately, this has worked against me quite a bit, oh, this really? COVID, because <laughs> I was really making some great gains with, uh, the physical therapist I was working oh, with. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and unfortunately I got two, I got three sessions of, of physical therapy in, and then the office and everything closed down. That was back in uh, early March. Uh, but those weekly sessions, we were doing that cupping, we were doing a lot of manual manipulation and then, uh, just range of motion stuff. It was, I was, it was a promise it showed made me very happy. And then all of a sudden that stopped. So he gave me some exercises to do at home. Obviously I can't do the stuff that he's doing to me. Um, but my, I am feeling good. It's untested because I haven't been able to be out there on the golf course. We'll see how that goes, but it has given me the comfort of knowing that if I get those flare ups again, I can go to him and I can hopefully recover a little bit sooner. But, uh, I tell you what, oftentimes all that you can do is, have patience. You got to yeah. give your body the time to heal, but also put the proper work in with whether whatever it is, physical therapy, whatever it may be. So right, 
And I remember you were actually laid out like two or, or even the day before we left for Florida. Yeah. Uh, and that, that was such a bummer. And it actually kind of it, it segues into Tony's response here at Tony Hammer 61. He says three days before we were due to fly to Legends Resort in Myrtle Beach, my back went into spasm and I couldn't play for about uh. two months. God, so I feel for you as well. Yeah, I feel for you, Tony. And that's just it. That's what I learned in, in working with the orthopedic and stuff like that. He said, listen, the fact is you're going to have these flare ups. There's no way to completely prevent them. We can do all these things to help reduce the amount of times it happens. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's just bad luck, bad mm -hmm. timing. Absolutely. Speaking of which, trying to put a good spin on it. A little side note. Do you know today, Mike, we're recording this on Wednesday. Today was the day we were supposed to fly out to Pinehurst. I know. Today I know. was I woke the up day. this morning. I woke up this morning and I told my daughter, I was like, Daddy's flying out at four o'clock. Yeah. And she's like, Wait, you're going? I'm like, No, but I would have been. I would have been. It popped up on my calendar too. And it's like, you know, so Pinehurst sad. flight. But again, silver lining, like we were saying, I think it was supposed to be like a washout down there this week. I'm looking right now. Thunderstorms all day tomorrow. Friday cleared up, mostly sunny, 78. So Friday would have been a Friday nice Friday would have been money, yeah. Saturday is a, a washout. And then uh, Sunday, I, I think we had nothing. We were coming home anyway, and that's sunny. So two of the three days would have been washed. <sighs> so we can hang our hat a little bit on uh, a little, Yeah, I mean, a little <laughs> something. But we'll be back out there. Um, yeah. Let's see here. A couple of other ones. I see a lot of, of wrist injuries. Um, yeah, common theme, wrist, elbow. Yep, elbow, wrist. Um, here's somebody who had a torn Achilles, just like uh, you had said, Mike, but yours was before that. He said, torn, this is Mr. Grazier. He says, torn Achilles, injured on November 28th. First round of golf was March 1st, still recovering. So, you know, that's quite a few months there. Um, and then I saw another one here. Let's see. Eric... Uh, Pramick says had a wrist injury that started in the off season when it wasn't getting better by the time the season rolled around, made an appointment to get it checked out, resulted in two injections in the wrist, got back to playing around the end of June, uh, couldn't miss the whole season. Yeah. So get a couple injections there. Yeah. But I see common things. Like I said, that, uh, here's, you know, Alex. Alex yeah. Alex is a good one dealing with the pinch nerve in the elbow, uh, kept him from playing from two months. It was due to hitting off the range mats yeah. something we talked about on a recent episode. We did. We did. We talked quite a bit about that. And we said, uh, you know, especially if you're, you're coming in steep and you're making that impact, um, there's ways you can avoid it. Guys, check yep. out that episode. We especially said wedges in particular was a big one. Um, Here's a good one. John says intercoastal muscle tear. That's a tough one to deal because that's what that's right in your like chest area, right? Right in the. Is it? If, if I, I believe so, and it's like you get a strain in there. Two months before he was leaving for Pinehurst, lost a, lots of reds. I'm sorry, lots of meds and rest. He says. Yeah. What is the intercoastal? Yeah, you're gonna have to. We need. Yeah, you're gonna have to Google that one while we look because we don't have uh, Joe. Joe Gambino would have the answer for us right on the tip of his tongue. Um, it is. It's it's right there in the chest area. It's a several groups of muscles that run between the rib. I'm sorry, the ribs uh, that help form and move the chest wall. So it is up in there. You know why those are painful too? Is when you because you're breathing. It's always moving yes, those muscles, yes. and that that just hurts. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So a lot of stuff here. It just it just shows it's common. Like I said, again, it keeps. Keeps coming back. Um, Ryan says that uh, Ryan Donovan says multiple bulging discs uh, and a partial slip in his lower back uh, got hurt at work. I guess that's what stemmed from kind of hurt at work. Couldn't play for six months. Finally back this season. I'm sure it feels great to be back. But um, yeah, again, it's such a common thing. We even see it on the PGA Tour. We see Jason Day 
struggling. And J- mm-hmm. Jason Day, you can just so quickly tell when he's doing okay and when he's not. You know, when he's feeling well, uh, I feel like he's consistently somewhere up there in that top twenty, top ten. And when he's not, it's just a, it's just a disaster. Yeah. And and that's what it comes down to. A lot of these injuries are flare up injuries. They 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 happen, and you can go stretches where you're feeling good, and then all of a sudden, bang, you're just immobile. Um, but it really does come down to preventative. Uh, again, hopefully. If anybody out there is struggling with a similar thing, like I said, I'm struggling with, with the herniated disc, my um, orthopedics are the number one thing I can do is stretching. I've been putting a stretching routine in daily and I've slowly, Mike, over the past week, I've started to work a strength, a home strengthening in because good. you get to this point, you're home and you're just like, I, I just can't do this anymore. I got, I got to get my body moving. So right. I, uh, I took the really simple approach. I took out my notepad on my, on my um, iPhone and I just put out a bunch of exercises. I'm starting with five exercises. I put a little check mark next to them when I complete them and I erase it at the end of the day and start over. And then I've got little dots at the bottom for how many days. So once I hit a full week, I'm going to increase all the exercises and then I'm going to try to try to do it without ever stopping. So I'm five days in and it feels good. I mean, I'm talking basics, push-ups, sit-ups, uh, chair dips, squats. This is the yeah, type of stuff I'm that. just doing at home just to keep that body, you know, moving. Smart, man. Yeah. You got to do it. Otherwise, you just roll into a big ball of mush when this thing's all over. <laughs> Tell me about We're it. We're going to be rolling you to the course. Tell me about it. It's tough. It's tough when you're home. It is. Um, all right. What do you say we do a word from our sponsors? And then I want to talk about this. I want to talk about swing change. How do you know when it's time to make that swing change? And when it is time, how do you go about doing it the right way? Perfect. Let's do it. So big thanks to Shotsco for sponsoring this episode. Um, for all you new listeners to the show, the Shotscope V2, what is it? Well, it's the world's smartest golf watch. Uh, it has laser-like GPS and stat tracking all built into one device that goes on your wrist. Uh, what I love about it the most is the data. The data you get always um, at the end of your round or at the end of a season even. You can go back and you can see where you and how, where you uh, missed, um, how you performed, uh, where you were great even. Let's talk about the positives, you know. Um, the watch itself, really simple to use. It's just like any other watch. You put it on your wrist. You turn it on. Uh, um, one time only, you screw the nubs into your clubs when you first get it, and you go out and play. Uh, you fire up the watch, you go play your round, and you will learn a lot about your golf game. I mean, I cannot uh, go through all the stats because there's hundreds of them, but you can imagine what it gives you. Greens and regulation and fairways hit and your misses and the club usage. That's another big one. You know, What clubs are you not using at all? And maybe it's time to get to a fitter and try to swap out. Maybe there's a, a gapping issue or whatever the case may be. You could find it all out with the data that the shot scope gives you. So check it out. It's It's got, a, like I said, a deadly GPS device. We've tested it against laser range finders. Super accurate. You can get the V2 by visiting shotscope.com slash golficity and you'll get the price of $119. So guys, check them out. Yeah. And I also want to just highlight Gavin uh, Deer, who uh, was with Shotscope. We had him on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. He's been excellent in the Golfacy Facebook group for answering you guys' questions. So some of you are you're, you're getting the shot scope. A bunch of you have, have you know said you've gotten it over the last couple of months. Any questions you have, he's been excellent as as far as that. And also make sure you guys join our leaderboard by using code G I C I T Y because we're gonna have a fun leaderboard this summer as soon as we all get our getting back out there, yeah. Mike. Absolutely. Can't wait for that. And, uh, you know, lastly, just want to thank FootJoy. I mean, we hear it all the time. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? So here's a question for you. Why would FootJoy go out and change the Pro SL? It's their most, it's the most popular shoe in golf. Why would they change it? It's the best-selling shoe in golf, the shoe that more tour players wear than any other. Uh, but FootJoy, they never settle. 
it's how they managed to be number one uh, in the shoe game uh, for all these years and, you know, more than 50 years, actually, to be exact. But what did they do? So they have they've innovated and advanced uh, this Pro SL shoe to give us more stability, more traction, more comfort, and even more choice. That's right. So one model wasn't good enough for foot choice, so they added a second option, which I love. Can't wait to wear these things. The Pro SL Carbons. They're like these blackouts with carbon fiber uh, material around it. Really cool. They offer ridiculous stability. Uh, with uh, the, the fiber carbon plate within the midsole. So they offer uh, comfort features like these ortholite impression fit beds, which keep you comfortable as you're walking for five hours out there. Uh, so not only that, but it's like a mattress for your feet, Frank. That's that, that's yeah. what they're, they're calling it. And, you know, I can't wait to put those things in play. I've used them in indoor simulators. We got them about a couple months ago. I was able to put them on and use them. So I was able to experience them, but not so much yet out on the course. And I'm really looking forward to it. So why did FootJoy change the Pro SL? Because only everything matters. So learn more at footjoy.com. Yeah. So, all right. So let's talking a little bit about these swing changes. I think as golfers, we all always want to get better. And I think we all feel that discomfort of not quite having our game be where it wants to be, uh, or where you want it to be, I should say. And I think a, a thing that, that, that commonly leads to is we think, well, there must be something wrong with my swing and you want to fix your swing. So it's a tempting thing to do to always, like I talked about at the top of the show, be kind of chasing something, change, you know, some sort of change. And it's a, it's an easy thought to have to just say, you know, if only I did this different in my swing, my right. scores would be so different. Or, mm -hmm. you know, if only I could, you know, whatever it is, X, Y, Z, like put the, you know, bring the club back to this point or whatever it may be. There's always something. Or if only I had his swing, you know, trying to replicate something that you saw on TV or otherwise. It's very tempting to be always chasing that. But the problem is a true change, a true change to your swing. And we've learned this in, in going through some of the lessons that we've done um, is that the way you swing is really kind of, it's grooved in there and it's a little bit tougher to make those changes than you think. It's not like you can, you know, hear one tip or watch one video and then immediately go out there and make that change and have it be, you know, something you can replicate every single time. Sure, you may be able to do it once when you're really thinking about it on the range. And then all of a sudden, you know, that looked and felt good and you're like, great. But making sure you do it every time and then also doing it under pressure and in different situations right. and in different lies, you know, not just hitting off of a mat, you know, on a flat lie on a range where there's no pressure. These things take time. So if you consider the fact that every real swing change takes time to implement and to put in place properly, then you realize you can't be making swing changes all the time. You've got sure. to you've got to understand that these are going to take time and, and as part of that give these things the time they take to to change. So, I am not in any way saying don't make changes. I think we all should. We should always be be trying to work on making our swing a little better. The, the PGA Tour pros do it. But what I'm saying is and what I'm advocating is doing it a little bit more methodically. First, identifying the real reason to make a change, then finding out what that change is going to be, and then putting into place something, some sort of system that is going to give the time and space it takes to get that change, you know, made and get that change something that that is now locked in because the other thing we often mm -hmm. do is we'll go to a lesson we'll learn something we need to do differently feels great in the lesson 
We go out on the course. We're frustrated that it's not immediately clicking. And we go back to our old swing. We're like, forget this. Always. Like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You know what I mean? But the reality is you haven't put into place the the proper tools, the practice, all the things that it takes for that that change to start to be something that your body is comfortable with performing. So it's a I think the most important takeaway here is that it, it it's a very um it's a it's a bigger th- thing than it might seem. So you got to take it as seriously as possible. Um so the first thing you do is is you got to look for a long-term reason to change your swing. There are a lot of ways to get better at this game without changing your swing. We've recently on the podcast covered uh, a whole number of things from a mental game aspect. Um, we've talked, and, and I think this is something we're going to continue to dive into because as, as we progress through our game, as we progress as golfers and we try to bring our own handicaps down, right. I've learned that so much of that is course management. And I've been trying to go deeper and deeper into that and less and less into feeling like the key to unlocking scoring better is is doing something different with my swing. I'm realizing more and more that I can score with my swing if I make smarter decisions out there. So you've got to look for like this longer term reason. And the reason I say that is, like I said, it's because it takes time um, to change it. And, and, and that long-term reason could be a number of things. There could be a very consistent miss that you've been struggling with for a long time. You could feel as though you've plateaued at a certain uh, skill level, a certain handicap. You could set a further out um, goal for yourself. Maybe it's uh, you know winning your, your Tuesday night league or your club championship or something like that. Mm-hmm. And realizing where you're at right now, your swing, it's not quite where it needs to be and you need to make that change. But understand those goals I'm setting are kind of longer term goals. They take time. It's not an instant click. So once you've identified that, these are legitimate reasons that you might want to make a, a swing change. And now you're plotting it out. Again, you're not, it's, it's a lot more proactive than it is reactive. Reactive would be, like I said, I'm sitting at home. I pop on YouTube. I see, you know, one of one of my favorite YouTubers teaching me this thing that hey, you got to do this with your swing, and I'm like, oh, all right, I want to do that, and I'll I'll change my swing. Proactive would be these are the goals I've set, these are the hurdles where I feel like my my current game can't get me there, and these are the right. changes that I'm going to need to make in order to get there. So you're you're doing it a lot more methodically, but. A huge thing to first identify is asking the question, is the problem really your swing? And I think this is where things like, as we talked about, tracking your stats, you know, some of the data trackers, whether it be shot scope or or even if just manually the pencil and paper, however it may be, um, just really starting to learn, like, where am I really truly losing strokes? And it might not be, and a lot of times, like when we think our swing, we swing, we think a full swing, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of times out there on the course, we're not even taking a full swing. And that might be where we're losing strokes. Think about it. Is it your short game? Sometimes you want to like dive into that. You may realize that, sure, a swing change might help with a little bit with eliminating that slice. But then when you look at your overall picture, you might say, when I really look at it, I'm pretty much somewhere around 25 to 50 yards out on a par four every time, you know, in two. So I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting near my target. I want to be on that green in two, but maybe there's a limitation there, <clears throat> excuse me there. But from that 20, that 50 to 25 yards out, I'm taking an additional 
four strokes, five right. strokes, something like that. And then you start to realize, well, this doesn't have really anything to do with my swing. And I said, with my short game, because I'm not taking a full swing from 25 yards out, but from 25 yards out, I'm a disaster. And then you start mm -hmm. to think, well, maybe that's the low-hanging fruit that I need to approach first before I start this, this long and drawn-out process of changing my swing. Uh, additionally, like we talked about before, bad course management decisions. Are you just making poor choices? Um, you may have a swing that's pretty darn reliable, but you know it's not, it's not like a pro's level of consistency. So you may, may be able to hit your target from 180 yards, you know, seven out of 10 times. And sure, by honing in on that, that swing, you might be able to get that to eight out of 10 or nine out of 10 times, right? I don't think anybody's right. hitting their exact target 10 out of 10 times. You know, even pros make misses. But then you realize you're not making great course decisions. Your target that you're picking might be right at the pin when you don't realize, you know, you got the short side there and you got a short side and a, and a, and a, and a green side bunker. And if you mm -hmm. miss just a little bit, you're in deep trouble in a green side bunker, your short sided green side bunker. You know, whereas right. if you just made a slightly better decision, change that target a little bit, even with your same swing, you're going to score better. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing to consider. And then another thing would be pressure. You know, do you struggle with pressure? Like, look at your performances honestly. Is it that you are losing strokes when you're in pressure situations? Pressure situations could be anything. It could be a tournament. It could be just first tees or, you know, the first tee box when there's a bunch of guys standing there waiting to tee off. Or when you play with that one particular playing partner that you always want to beat, but you play like a disaster every time you play with the guy because mm -hmm. you use so much pressure. That could be it too. So for example, let's say under no pressure, you feel comfortable with your swing. You're shooting, you're shooting decent scores. Of course, we could all shoot better, but you're shooting pretty good scores. And then you go out there under pressure and you, and you play disaster. Well, your swing hasn't changed. The only thing, the variable that changes is the pressure. So if you, under those, that round, when you come off that round where you played under pressure and you played terribly, and that's when you make that impulse decision to make a swing change, it might not have been the right decision because yeah. your swing is working when it's not under pressure. Absolutely. And I could just actually, you know, go back to this list and just shout it out in my own game. Number one, a poor short game. Yes. I know that I struggle with short putts. I leave so many strokes out there because of short putts that I probably should make. I'll lag a 25 footer to, you know, one or two feet a lot. But when I stand over a five footer, I'm missing them like, you know, four or five times out of 10, six times out of 10. Yeah. And, you know, I'm definitely leaving strokes out there. Bad course management, the 320 yard par four driver comes out of the bag because I want to try to get it close. Cause I rely a lot on my, you know, my short chipping game. Cause I'm very confident in it, but is it the right club? Should I be hitting a six iron off that tee? Yeah. You know, there, there's thing there and then pressure. Yeah. I mean, anytime the mental game shifts, and there's money on the line, or like you said, there's people standing there and watching you. Everything just goes out the window for mm -hmm. me. Um, so I mean, that's a that's a recipe for disaster. So I have identified that, um, but um, but to take it just a step further, we we're talking about going to see these coaches. I mean, it is one thing for like an Ian at Game Line Training to tell me, Mike, you're using just your arms to swing, and I'm like, wow. But now I got to figure out like, all right, 
how do I stay consistent with it? Because that's, like you said, it's the hardest part. It's the hardest part. The hardest part because, like, yeah, I, I go back, I'll try it for a day or two. I'll do this, the leg slide trick, you know, like he was teaching me on, on the sliders. But then if you're like, yeah, now I'm just going to go back to what I was doing. Right. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. That's just <laughs> yeah. it. And, and he's even showing us how, like, it's easy to forget. And yep. they've done things with, you know, putting the mind under pressure to make it force it to learn um, yep. because it can be easy just to go along for the ride. But all the things that we mentioned here, you know, swing changes is side all the things we enter, uh, we mentioned here these three things are all things that pretty much every golfer and as you and we always talk about this as you go up the scale as you go up to the higher handicappers they can benefit the most because you know there's there's the most ground to cover you know just by implementing some of this you're going to start to see yourself get better quick the, the, it's kind of kind of funny how the the curve of learning works with golf you you know you can get very much better really quick, you know, as you come down from shooting like 120 to a hundred, right. And then shooting in, you know, the nineties. And then it, as you start to get closer and closer to that, that scratch handicap, it gets harder and harder. So it's a lot harder to, it's a lot easier to go from shooting 120 to 110 than it is to go from shooting 80 to 70 or 70 to 60. Right right? Mm -hmm. But everywhere on that scale, you can, you can improve. So if you even just take this one takeaway, if you just say, I'm going to work on these three things, one, grind out that short game, really work on it. And this is something we've seen a lot of people doing in lockdown right now and quarantine is, is working on the putting. And I think, you know, that, that daily, I've talked about this before, that daily work on it is going to help, but putting, chipping in the backyard, getting a chipping net, whatever it may be, that's a huge one. Uh, course management decisions. Again, this is something that requires no swing change, just becoming a student of the game and understanding why better golfers make, you know, choose the, the shots that they choose at different times. And I'm just not just saying choosing to play a fade or a draw here, because that's something that requires skill. I'm saying choosing where you aim it, you know, not always going on your max distance. Like, oh, right. it's a par five. There's there's a carryover water to reach that green, but the green is technically technically only 225 away. And I know I can hit it that far. I, I've done it before. But my question is, can you do it every time? You know, right. and if not, exactly. it might be the better decision to lay up 150 short of that water and put your and then to hit a shot. That's a shot you know you can hit. Right. I can hit my my eight iron 150 and then I know I can hit my wedge the rest of the distance and put it on the green. I'm putting for birdie, right. you know, so better course management decision. And then the problems with pressure. How do you do that? You simulate pressure in your practice. We've talked about this, like example, be putting you have, you, you know, you can do all types of, I think this one, the call like the iron cross There's all, there's a lot of ways you can do it, but you <laughs> simulate it by saying you have to make a certain putt to advance, or you have to make a certain shot or on the range, instead of just spraying the ball and just, you know, taking cuts wherever it goes, pick targets, say you can't move on to your next shot until you make that, that shot and you hit your target. This is the type of stuff that can simulate pressure and you can get better. So yeah. all important. Now, if you've worked your way through all of that and you've identified and, and you've, you've, again, you've taken that methodical approach, you've identified a reason uh, to make your golf swing, uh, a golf swing change. You've identified the swing change that you're looking to do, you know, more or less, you may need to see a pro. If you say, Hey, I'm, I'm looking to do this slightly different. I'm just not sure how to get there and they can help you. But once you've gotten to that point and you say, I'm going to make this swing change, the next step, you got to find the right time to do it. And a swing change, even the subtle ones, 
can take time, like I said, to really, to kind of groove. And, and in order to really make it work, you've got to be able to commit to it. You can't do what we all do. And like you just said, Mike, quit on it and go back to our old stroke. And the number mm-hmm. one way to quit on it, in my opinion anyway, is to try to make that swing change right in the middle of the season. When you're out there, you're playing every weekend with your buddies, you're playing in your, like your Tuesday night league, whatever it may be. And your things are on the line. You know, you want to win. You want to score well. You want to you want to post some good scores this season before the season's over. Whatever it is, you can't. You get out there and you're saying you're trying to make the swing change, which is going to come with growing pains, which is going to come with struggles. But the second you experience those struggles, you're like, forget this. You go back to your old way. I just need to score today. I'll work on that another day. You know, and right. you keep putting it back on the shelf. So mm-hmm. timing can be so important. And and a good way to do that is. Look at the season. When can you really put the work in on this? And for us in the Northeast, it's kind of a no-brainer. A great time to work on our our swing changes is October, November, the end of the season. So you can say, all right, during the season, I've identified these areas I want to work on. For now, I'm going to focus on those three things that that I can do now. Short game, better decision-making, better playing under pressure, but I'm going to shelve this idea of this, of this swing change at the end of the season, I'm going to go see my local pro and I'm going to tell him, this is what I struggle with in my swing all season. What can I do? Come up with a game plan with the pro, maybe some drills you can do, whatever it may be, some body movements. There's a lot of stuff you can do without a club again, doing in the off season. And then Mm -hmm. take that and work on it. Give yourself those couple of months November, December, January, whatever it may be. So then now that's feeling like you've gotten over the the real hurdle of the challenge and you can start to really implement it as the season picks back up. And now that's going to vary wherever your off seasons are. Or if you're fortunate enough to play in a place like, I don't know, Arizona and there's no off season, you just need to more so work it around other things. Like when is your league not in session? Uh, when are there no big local tournaments coming up that you want to play well in anything that would cause you to have to set your, your swing changes aside is what we're trying to avoid here. Giving yourself a nice block of time. See what Makes I'm saying? sense, man. Yeah. It all comes down to time, finding that time and staying consistent with it. Right. Timing. That's just it. Um, so then uh, beyond that, a few other helpful tips. One, like I said, I really can't stress this enough. Work with a pro. Uh, to me, I, I know you can learn a lot, and I have learned a lot from watching videos, reading books, a lot of the ones that we've been strong proponents of here. Um, but what I would say is, is when you really come into something specific, a lot of those 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 drills that we see in the books, they talk about stuff that is broadly applicable to a lot of golfers, and, it, and it's a really great stuff to know and learn. But everyone's swing is different, and I think the common trap is to try to change your swing to be like someone else's swing. I think a really good teaching professional is going to help you work within your own swing and is not going to try to make you somebody else. So I think a great thing you could do in a wise investment would be to work with a pro in some capacity. And there's multiple capacities now, more than there ever were before, whether it, whether it be physically seeing someone in person or now there's so many pros even doing the virtual lessons. Even Kevin Sprecker has been doing it, you know? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So you get a chance where you can say, again, methodically, I've identified this area of my swing, which I feel like is an issue and is holding me back. Here's 
how I, whether in person or on video, this is what my swing looks like. Can you help guide me to what changes I need to make? And then a good pro is also going to give you some sort of practice plan, game plan that you can, you can leverage and work with. It is, it is well worth the effort because again, trying to kind of identify and solve the problem yourself depending on where you're at. If you're a scratch golfer, you may know, Hey, this is what I, this is, this is what I'm doing wrong. This is what I need to change. But if you're, if you're applying any type of guesswork, you might be swimming against the current and you might end up having to go back and and rework it. So I'd say like that little bit of an investment up front, uh, working with a pro can really help. Um, another thing, start starting with smaller clubs. Um, it can be like, you can be really eager with some of these swing changes. It might be good to start working with like a wedge or something like that. As you work the swing change in, obviously, as we go up in the bag towards that driver, each club becomes harder and harder to hit. So if you're making a difficult swing change, um, as that swing speed comes, goes up and things like that, it can be a little bit more difficult. It might be smart to start with a club you're very comfortable with, like a seven iron or something like that and then start making that change. But again, go by the guidance of your pro. I can only speak broadly here because the swing change you might be trying to make might be something specific, like specific to your driver, in which case you wouldn't be able to apply that with a seven iron, you know? So working right. that in can really help. But I think my favorite tip in all of this is to have fun with and enjoy the process. I think so many times where we always, we set our mindset way out to where we're eventually going to be. Maybe like, oh, I'll be able to enjoy it once I'm there, you know? And what that does is it kind of like, it takes all the joy away from the journey, the process of getting there. So if you realize and you think about it as why do we play golf? We play golf because we like the challenge. If there was no challenge to golf, it would not be that enjoyable. You know what I mean? It, it would right. just, it, it, would get, it would get old so quick. So mm-hmm. that challenge, so... By embracing that and enjoying the process, because there's going to be growing pains with the swing change, but knowing why you're doing it or kind of like geeking out on the fundamentals of the the swing and the way it's where whatever it takes, whatever kind of lights up your brain for it, do it because enjoying that journey is is perhaps the most important part. You know, I mean, uh, the end of that journey for most of us is not a PGA Tour card, right? Right. So you got to realize that it's not our career. You know, it's, it's just something that we enjoy. We enjoy the game. So we've got to enjoy the journey. We've got to enjoy the struggles as much as we enjoy the wins. And then you'll, you won't have these huge lumps of your season, two or three months when you're making a swing change, when you're just not enjoying it just by changing that perspective. So I I personally think that's an important one. Oh, big time. I totally agree. And you know, if there's a way that you can creatively make it enjoyable so that you do stick with it, like, and I, I think back to our very own, uh, contributor, Eddie, Ed Detusa, um, he did the whole Duffs to darts thing and he was, he had a goal to improve, um, in a very specific process, but it was his documenting. Now, of course, not everyone's going to create video series about their, you know, about their journey, but even if it's, you know, writing it down, creating little games for yourself, whatever the case may be that can make it fun along the way. That's going to keep your head in it so that you could stay consistent with your swing change or the lessons that you're doing. I think that goes a long way because, you know, you leave, you leave a Kevin Sprecker and you go home and you go and try to do it at the range one day, two days. All right, great. But I think, you know, getting a notepad, writing it down, what was the result from the swing change at the range? You know, you know, 
what was it? I mean, there's obviously many tools out there and, and uh, mobile launch monitors and things that nowadays that are so easy and affordable that you can get. And you can try to continue the process on your own and make it kind of fun. And that's that's going to be something I'm going to try to do. Find a way to make it fun. Uh, and that'll ultimately keep me in it. Yeah. You know, and not give up. Yeah. And one way too to make it fun is that just embracing that feeling with that moment when you are with the coach and they make a little change and you smoke one and it felt great, but then you realize you got to be able to do that every time. And that's where the work comes from. The work is not from doing it once. So using that as your motivation and saying like, okay, I can have my game be there, but it's gotta, I got to put this work in. So, because yeah. that's, again, that's what all of us do. We go the other direction. We felt great in the lesson, but then there's a lot of work that's involved with making that be your swing on, you know, repeatedly. Um, and we go backwards and then we go back to the results that we've had. And that's why so many golfers have this they either plateau or they have the same results for such a long time is because as you get better and better, the changes become harder and harder. Um, yeah. and, and as they become harder, they take more time. And, and because we're playing at a level that we're fairly comfortable with, like nobody wants to shoot 150 every time. We're not comfortable there. If we don't get better, we're basically going to give up the game. But if we're, pl- if we're shooting nineties, you know, high eighties, we feel pretty good about it. I'm like, yeah, the motivation to get better sometimes is not as strong because you could get your way around a golf course and have fun with your buddies. Um, so it'd be a slippery slope to go back to your old swing, but if you truly want to get better, you got to put that work in and grind it it out for sure. So important. So that's everything. You know, you can get to the show notes by going to golfisty.com slash episode 320 or get it in the golfisty app. Uh, but we say this all the time and I really truly mean it. If any of you have anything you want to add to the conversation, anything that's worked for you, swing changes, things, swing changes that you went through and what you experienced with it. Like Mike said, Eddie documented the whole thing, which was really awesome, but maybe you've got something similar, some sort of story you can share that we can learn from, uh, post in the comments below, post in the Facebook group, wherever you can share it with the golfistic community, uh, and we'll learn from it. Um, and I think that's a way we can all kind of get better, like I said. So again, that's everything we have, guys. We'll see you again next week. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you there.